Sarah and I were camping uh, this last week as well, Tuesday through Saturday, yesterday, and I am both exhausted and energized by that experience. I love being out of nature. It is where I commune with God uh, more than anywhere else, and we had a wonderful experience. I think some of my favorite times camping are just the stillness when I get to sit by a fire early in the morning, still cold outside, but the fire so warm and crackling and hopefully not throwing sparks onto my clothing or uh, anything else. It's all part of it. It's all part of it. I love sitting next to that fire, but probably my favorite experience of the week uh, camping was getting to baptize a friend in the freezing cold Ohanapakash River. Um, and uh, we, there's, yeah, you can clap about that. Yeah, we're happy for Ian. Um, and uh, it was beautiful because there was some 30 of us up there, uh, at least half of those kids, and just to get to share that experience in a, in a tight-knit community of people as uh, he made that decision. So that was really special for me. That was really cool. And we all felt cold for him as he came up out of the water. We all shivered a little bit. You know, one of my favorite experiences of this last week is we really focused on learning how to use um, our Dutch ovens. So Dutch ovens are like these big cast iron uh, pots that have this big cast iron lid, and then you put fire underneath them and on top of them. And we made all sorts of things. We did breakfast casseroles, we did biscuits, we did an apple crisp, and it's just fun playing playing with fire. <laughs> so dangerous and fun. Well, and when it involves food, how can you go wrong? Yes. Absolutely. So uh, we were camping this last week. We've got a number of other trips planned during the year. I know even right now, uh, three or four families from the church are still at that campground right now. Um, and uh, so we always like to be sure you know that uh, there's no guilt in traveling and enjoying your summer being away from this place. When you're here, feel free to come and worship with us. But please go and make memories as a family and be the hands and feet of Jesus wherever you find yourself uh, on any given weekend. Absolutely. So we're going to continue today in our series uh, about Moses. So I began that series last week and we talked about the birth of Moses and we're going to continue and just heads up, it's going to skip a whole bunch of years. We go from his birth to all of a sudden he is grown up. So we're going to be in Exodus chapter two and we're just reading four verses today, but there's a whole lot in those four verses. I invite you to follow along with me. Exodus chapter two, starting in verse 11. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Very short passage that we're reading today, and yet so much happens here. This is a significant turning point in Moses's life. Have you ever had an experience in which like life is marked before and after that experience? Like life will never be the same after this moment in, 
in Moses's life after this decision in Moses's life. Absolutely. It's called a watershed moment. Yeah. Everything will hinge upon this experience in his life. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we're going to go back and we're going to break it down a little bit and, and look at some of the details of the story because I think there's some rich and and some challenging things to explore in the text here today. Um, so Moses has grown up and he went out to where his own people were and watched them in their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. We don't get to know much about Moses' experience growing up, his early childhood, right? We know that about three years old, he's brought to the house of Pharaoh and raised by Pharaoh's daughter. So a Hebrew, a man whose people were incredibly oppressed right now, I mean, literally genocide taking place to ensure their population doesn't get bigger, uh, the Pharaoh has ordered that all baby boys be killed. Now, Moses escaped that. You can go back and listen to that that sermon through um, some brilliant and shrewd actions of of the women in his life, um, and uh, and so Moses ends up being raised in this posh place of power and prominence in some respects, raised at least in the Pharaoh's household, right? So he grows up with all sorts of opportunity and comfort in his life. I can only imagine the contrast to the experience of his parents, his mother and his sister that rescued him, that, that allowed him to get to this place as they suffered under the oppression of the Egyptian people. Uh, Moses grew up we'd assume, in relative comfort in the house of Pharaoh. And yet, as we see here, we also can assume that he had a whole lot of identity questions. Like, with this drastic difference in the way he grew up and the way his bio family is growing up, I mean, think about all the things that must have been going through his mind, adopted into the most powerful, most privileged family in Egypt, and adopted from one of the most oppressed and mistreated families in Egypt. And then to, to realize at some point in his growing up years that, oh, I am Hebrew and I, my adopted family is actually responsible for the oppression of my bio family. I mean, imagine when he was old enough to recognize and realize that. Can you imagine the turmoil and the questions as he is growing up asking himself, who am I and where do I fit? Where do I belong in this situation? And so we find him in this pivotal moment now in his adult life, a Hebrew man uh, who had grown up as an Egyptian, now watching an Egyptian beat one of his fellow people, a Hebrew. In verse 13, the next day he went out and he saw these two Hebrews. I'm sorry, I skipped ahead. There you go. Uh, Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Looking this way in that way. That's pivotal. So um, yeah. some argue that Moses is totally justified in his action here. Some will prop him up as a hero and a rescuer of that, that those people. Um, I don't read the text in that way. And we even had some challenging conversations going back and forth on exactly what uh, what is right and what does justice look like in this moment. If you weren't here a few weeks ago... Um, Emily, yeah, uh, spoke on justice, and it's an incredibly challenging subject, because what does justice look like in a moment like this? A Hebrew man raised as an Egyptian, seeing now an Egyptian beating one of his own people, a Hebrew. But when you see words like, he looked this way and that, you can 
you can kind of surmise that he knew this wasn't right, or at least he couldn't get caught for what he was about to do. Um, some would describe this as a moment of righteous anger, uh, but I don't, I don't personally read it in that way. In fact, I want to tell you a story, and I don't tell this story with any pride, but maybe a confession. Um, I've experienced a similar emotion. And, and I won't go into any detail, but, or much detail at all, but I was uh, 16 years old, and I was talking to a girl on the phone, and her brother's friends got on the phone and started saying and doing the most inappropriate things possible. Her parents weren't home, and I knew she was in a very unsafe moment and place right there, and I remember driving like a maniac over there and uh, entering that house with all sorts of anger and just ready to brawl. And thankfully, her parents had gotten home in that time, and uh, and nothing crazy happened. But here's the thing. As I reflect on moments like that, wrong had been done, and it needed to be confronted. And yet nothing about what I was experiencing in that moment was the wisdom or the leading of the Holy Spirit. It, it was more of, of a rage that had taken over. Right, And so we ask ourselves, when injustice exists in this world, how do we as followers of Jesus respond? For now, we're, we're going to get back into the text and look at Moses' uh, decisions and, and what plays out in his story. But in the end, I think we need to circle back and ask, uh, what does justice look like in the face of incredible injustice and violence? Mm-hmm. You know, and... And with, in the story here, Moses looking this way and that way, as, as we ask that question, it's so easy to justify an action if we think that no one's looking or if we think this is going to be done in secret. And so this is, that's definitely playing a, a role in this. Verse 13, the next day he went out and he saw two Hebrews fighting. Uh, he asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. So Moses has a very different reaction um, when he goes out the second day and he sees someone being unjustly harmed. Uh, but this time it's between two Hebrews. And so instead of reacting violently like he did the day before, he, he questions the Hebrew in the wrong. And, and I love the guy's response to him. He says, who made you ruler and judge over us? And it's meant to be an insult. Um, clearly, uh, Moses is not the ruler and judge over them in this moment. But it's also a bit ironic because it's it's Moses here who's ha- asking all these identity questions. And, you know, who is he right now? And, and where does he belong? And is he Hebrew? Is he an Egyptian? How does he fit in? And, and it's a bit ironic because God will make him ruler and judge over the Hebrew people. God will eventually grow Moses and he will mature into the leader that the Hebrews, the Hebrew people need. Now he has a whole lot of growing and maturing to do before then, but it's a bit of foreshadowing like, Hey, this is not who you are now, but God will make you into this leader. So Moses has just murdered a man and, and hid him in the sand uh, what he has done has become known. And in verse 15, uh, Pharaoh heard of this, and he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh, and he went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. 
Pharaoh is now trying to kill his adopted grandson, right? Uh, the same adopted grandson that he wanted to have killed in his infancy, right? Pharaoh continuing uh, his course of uh, oppression, of violence, of uh, absolute uh, genocide and inappropriate, um, unjust behavior here in Egypt. And then Moses is caught in this moment where what he has done has been made known. And so he he's forced to flee from Pharaoh. And, and I just imagine all the things going through his mind. Now, where do I go? Now, what do I do? Now, who am I? I want to circle back in our text today and in our story today and explore a little bit deeper um, Moses's reaction and what it might look like as followers of Jesus, how we might respond uh, in unjust and painful situations. You know, we talked about Moses and his decision to respond in personal violence towards another individual. Um, have you ever found yourself so convinced of your rightness or your righteousness that harming another seemed reasonable, right? That's kind of what I experienced in that story that I told earlier. Um, so feeling so right or righteous that it seems justified to harm another individual. And it happens in huge ways, like in Moses' story. It, it happened in a smaller way in, in my life in my teenage years, uh, but it happens in much smaller ways and much more ordinary ways in our lives, right? Think about those posts that you see online on social media or something that just so inflame your anger because it is so wrong. And sometimes we lash out as though it's justified then to harm another because we disagree with them. The number of conversations I've had over the last couple of years where people just lament the fact that it seems impossible to have a conversation anymore with someone that holds a different perspective than my own. A lot of this is born of this reactionary uh, um, mentality, this mentality in which we think if I'm right and you're wrong, then I have the right to say or do anything to correct that. And while there is, it is entirely appropriate, and maybe you're about to speak to this, uh, I'll invite you to, um, well, it is appropriate to speak up for what is right and what is just and what is good and what is godly. Uh, is, is violence or aggression or harm towards another the proper means for a Jesus follower to engage in a difference like this? You know, I was thinking as you were talking how, how that happens all the time. And also it happens all the time in the church. Within the people of God who are to be like Jesus, who are to show compassion and love, that the people of God also respond in these ways. And so this is a really pertinent question that yes, we are to act when we see injustice, but let's not forget who we are, that we are the people of God, that we represent a God of love and may our actions show that. May our actions reveal that we are serving a God of love. You know, another thing in this story that that I find um, really pertinent in my life, and, and maybe you'll find it in yours, is, is Moses is using his own power and his own abilities, his own way of thinking in this response. He is trying in some way to help his people, to save his people, but he's not seeking God's guidance. He's not seeking um, God's uh, working through him. And so the way he responds, he ends up responding in a way that's a complete failure, in my, in my opinion. 
And God will eventually take Moses out and he'll have this long transformative journey in the wilderness and God will grow him into the leader that he needs to be. And Moses eventually will come back and in God's timing and through God's power and in God's way, lead his people out of Egypt. So I think for us, there's an invitation in here to seek God's direction in our lives. When we're faced with situations in which we don't know what to do and there's clearly wrong and there's clearly injustice, instead of taking it upon ourselves to decide here's what we need to do in this moment or just going with our natural reaction to really seek God and God's guidance in that. You know, I want to pause just a moment to explore what Moses could have done. Um, a, a, a Hebrew person raised in an Egyptian household, he had a voice in the royal court here in Egypt, right? There are ways that he could have been speaking out for or trying to bring about systemic change in these problems. Instead of reacting to an individual circumstance, uh, look upstream, Moses. Like, you have a voice in the very court of Egypt. What could he have been doing differently with his influence, his power, his voice in this moment. And, and so it's fascinating, as you said, I just wanted to reiterate this idea that now God is going to send him through a long formational journey uh, to become the leader that God desires him to be. I think it's a little bit easier for us to maybe explore in Moses's life how he might have done this differently, right? But to take uh, a moment in each of our lives to say, how can I be engaging a little bit differently in this world? How can I be using my voice for those that are marginalized or oppressed around me? How can I be engaging in ways that brings about hope and healing in the lives of people that are experiencing injustice? And it's not easy, and we won't always get it right. But it is the invitation of Jesus, and it is the way of the kingdom of God that we would be involved in peaceful in loving, in life-giving ways, in bringing about change that is good for the people in need around us. Amen to that. So I want to leave us with um, the second scripture that I memorized as a kid. The first one is Jesus wept. For kids still in here, that is the shortest verse of the Bible. Start there. Um, but the second passage that I memorized as a kid is Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but on God's understanding. Submit to God and he will make your path straight, meaning he will show you the way to go. May we be a people who trust God. May we be a people who submit to God's uh, guidance and God's way of doing things. And may we walk in a way that reflects a God of love. Let's pray about it. God, thank you for this day and this opportunity um, to uh, both celebrate who you are and who we are in uh, light of who you are, God, uh, but also a day that we get to um, really sober, sober judgment, uh, just consider a text that is challenging. Uh, when injustice exists, when harm exists around us, um, God, may we be a people 
that live like Jesus in this world um, uh, through peaceful resistance and and even sacrifice. God, may we be a people that bring about the hope and healing uh, that is so central to who you are and what you are accomplishing in this world. Spirit, we invite you to lead us as we navigate difficult waters and difficult difficult times in our lives and in our nation. Uh, Teach us uh, to be a people um, that walk in step with you. Uh, May we follow you, Jesus, in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.